Another edition of the Go 24 podcast kicking off right now, a Monday edition. LSU kicked off spring practice on Sunday at Ogeron, spoke with the media, a lot to get to for that as well. Uh, LSU basketball entering the NIT after a brief run in the SEC tournament. And then LSU baseball enters SEC play this weekend. So we have a lot to talk about. I'm Billy Embody. Joining me, Sonny Ship, Shay Dixon, Sonny Money, Shay D. Guys, uh, I'll start with spring football. I think that's the one that everybody wants to hear about. Shay, you were out there. Take us through some of your uh, your key takeaways. I thought the – well, look, we get to see 15, 20 minutes, so it's not like we unearth everything that's going on with the team right away, but – I'll say some of the bigger takeaways. Look, one of the biggest takeaways for me, and I think this will be reinforced in the summer when more guys arrive, freshmen, but they have a lot more depth on the D-line and on the O-line than they have had in A in recent years. Um, And B, I think that maybe even talent-wise, they've taken a step up um, both in the the starting unit and the two deep. And Orgeron kind of said it on – Sunday after practice, he said, uh, we've got we've got a situation where, look, Pete Jenkins did all he could last year and really raised the level of play uh, of guys like Christian Lockator and um, and who Greg Gilmore and uh, whom I forget, oh, Richard Lawrence, but uh, guys like that, Frank Heron. But now with Fajoko and Gilmore, or Fajoko and Lawrence and um, Ed Alexander and sort of Glenn Logan, who looked really good, and some pictures have gone around of him standing next to Kyle, William, uh, Kyle Williams, and uh, Logan looks like he's trimmed down some, just looks to be in good shape. So, um, Billy, I think just to start, um, the depth in the trenches, which Orgeron has said from day one will be his kind of in the laundry list of things he wants to do recruiting-wise and building a team, um, he said he's going to start with the lines and move out from there. And uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that he's done just that. And, and I think that's going to be a big bonus for them in a year where, you know, you look at some skill positions and, and you're kind of um, moving into some unknown territory, unknown guys. And I, I just feel like Billy and, and Sonny that they're going to be able to rely on on the offensive line and defensive line, maybe more so than any other position. Yeah, that's something I, I do think when, when listening to Ed Ogeron recap practice and and he talks about guys like Damian Lewis and especially that interior Ed Ingram and Lloyd Cushenberry. And he even mentioned Austin Deculus could slide inside. Those are, that's a, a position that is now has a, a really a, uh, an incredible amount of depth and, and, and Garrett Brumfield returning. I mean, it, the interior, especially of the offensive line is, is something that stood out to me right away. And you talked about that defensive line. Is there anything that surprised you when you were out there on uh, on Sunday? In terms of the O-line, D-line? Just in general. I, I mean, it's it's uh, day one. You can only take away so much, but any anything that kind of stood out in, in maybe a way that you weren't expecting? You know, I, well, we heard Damian Lewis's name mentioned, and everybody imagines that Brumfield and Ingram are going to start. There's only two starting guard spots, and you return two guys who started there last year. Um, but how does Damian Lewis get on the field? The Juco signee, Orgeron, saying his praises – um, and I guess, you know, really in 15, 20 minutes, nothing stands out to you, especially given we saw most of these guys, you know, two months ago finishing up bowl season. But I will say that even on day one, you could tell how involved 
Jerry Sullivan is going to be with this offense and uh, most notably the passing attack and even more specifically the wide receivers. I mean, he was going through route trees and um, sort of coaching everybody up on technique. And it was a very, you know, for our first time getting to see him on the field, actually being able to coach because um, he was a consultant or analyst before with the role he was in, he wasn't allowed to be um, sort of hands-on and, and as part of the 10-man staff or 11-man coaching staff. Now that he is, um, he was kind of a full go, and I almost see it as he's going to be able to kind of drop his 30 years of wide receiver knowledge and NFL experience onto a group that we don't know. I mean, I mentioned with the skill guys, we don't know a ton about what Jonathan Giles can do. I mean, he played at Texas Tech, but in this offense in the SEC, and they've got so many other guys waiting in the wings, Stephon Sullivan, um, you know, go down the list, D. Anderson, uh, Derek Dillon still here, Terrace Marshall, newcomers like that. I think this spring is a we could see maybe the wide receivers grow at a little bit more rapid pace, a little more quickly than um, we have in years past because I think they've got a guy who maybe Billy and, and Sonny you would probably describe as a technician, almost like a Pete Jenkins, someone who can really take you know a, a crop of guys at a position and and raise the bar for them in a short amount of time. Yeah, completely agree with you. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, we, we kind of touched on a little bit with the defensive line. Sonny, did you did you pick up anything from from Ed Ogeron that that really caught your eye uh, coming out of that that day one of practice? Well, I think one thing when you you know when I look at the at the at the defensive side of the ball. I'm very interested to see, uh, you know, what what it's what's going to shake out at the uh, at both of the outside linebacker spots. You know, on one side on the on the bench linebacker spot, you've got Caleb on Chase on and Andre Anthony. You know, a guy who hasn't played in the game in two years, uh, kind of going head to head. And it's going to be, you know, I'm anxious to see if Anthony is able to work off the rust, uh, you know, bounce back from the injury that sidelined him last year and be able to, uh, you know, to finally kind of live up to the hype of, you know, that four-star pass rusher that he was coming out of high school. And then you look at that, at that field linebacker spot and the competition there is going to be just as, just as fierce with Ray Thornton and Michael Divinity going head to head. It seems like from listening to Orgeron that, that Thornton may have the edge going into spring practice. And I'm, I'm a little surprised by that only because Divinity got the start against Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl, recorded five tackles, got him a sack, uh, Four of his five tackles were solos. And so, you know, he really kind of had that first, his first uh, coming out party since he's been at, since he had been at LSU. You know, former five star linebacker coming out of John Eric down in the New Orleans area. And so, uh, you know, to see to see the two battles that's going to be going on right there, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, that they, they're going to be two of the more hotly contested battles on the defensive side of the ball. And regardless who emerges as the quote-unquote starter, I think you're going to be looking at a situation to where, barring any injuries, uh, they're going to be a lot of shuffling because I don't think there's going to be a whole ga- a whole lot of gap between the first team and second team guy. And, and that'll allow when you have those type of players in that type of depth at that position to, to set the edge and, and play, have strong play out on the edge. That'll allow the guys in the middle and, and along that defensive line to be able to play a little bit more aggressively and not have to worry about that. And that's a key 
one piece of news that, that just dropped today before we recorded this, Christian Fulton status and, and kind of what has uh, the, the veil has been lifted by, by Ross Dellinger at The Advocate. This situation with him with the two-year suspension that he's battling, if they can get him back on the secondary side of things, that'll be huge. But uh, Shade, John Trey Kirkland is, is someone that um, – was taking first team reps and kind of working in there. What do you, what do you see out of, out of the former Lutcher quarterback? Yeah. I mean, he's a natural athlete, Billy, obviously from playing quarterback at Lutcher, he understands how a defense operates. I think that really more than anything, I'm not overly shocked that he's getting first team reps. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's good enough to play a, a cover corner type of guy just with his, his athleticism alone. And here's the situation. You know Greedy's going to start at corner. They missed out on some guys on signing day. They're going to see if Kelvin Joseph can potentially play corner. If not, you obviously plug him in at safety. He was a top five safety in the country coming out of Scotlandville High. And then you've got this crop of Kerry Vincent, John Trey, um, Todd Harris is sort of a guy who can play in the nickel, but is more of a safety naturally. Um, they've moved Manny Netherly over and they're looking to add a grad transfer and Orgeron made no secret about that. And that guy would be Terrence Alexander out of Stanford. He played at John Curtis. He was part of a really talented 2014 class in Louisiana that had Fournette and all those guys, DJ Chark, Russell Gage were some other guys who are kind of ranked lower on the board. Donnie Alexander, um, Terrence Alexander was ranked above those guys coming out. He ended up at Stanford uh, and graduated, got hurt this past year, and has a year of eligibility left. So he could be a guy that maybe comes in and could compete with John Trey. And uh, I could see them using a number of guys and, and sort of whoever sticks or whoever has a really strong offseason kind of into fall camp would be um, the guy that they rely on most. But I am – I'm curious. Orgeron, look, he didn't seem overly stressed out. It's day one of spring ball. Yes, they have cornerback issues, but uh, they're looking to alleviate some of those concerns by, um, you know, with the addition of a grad transfer and bringing Joseph in. I don't see a route for Ed Paris really to play corner. I think he's a lot bigger. I think he's more of a natural fit at safety. I really do think, and it's early, so we don't know a ton about him yet, but I think John Trey Kirkland's the leader in the clubhouse, and I think him taking whether, you know, first team reps or the first reps or however you want to call it, uh, I do think he probably has a little bit of an edge over the rest of the group when you look at that left cornerback spot. And that's not that's really not that big of a surprise for me, considering, you know, when you look at the depth issues. But John Trey Kirkland, they were, uh, you know, from talking to sources last year, they felt that he had a really good, um, uh, really good summer, really good fall camp, and you know, things really kind of started to click on him uh, on the practice fields throughout the fall camp. So he was a guy that he was a guy that Orgeron and and several of the coaches really raved on uh, for the bowl practices when he was able to get more reps. So I think uh, you know I'm not that surprised by uh, by John Trey being uh, being that starter at this stage. And that's a, maybe even more so about Kerry Vincent not being able to to you know, be with the team as much, uh, you know, he's running track, doing all of that. John Trey Kirkland has been able to really lock in and, and focus in on what he, what he wants to do. And that's play football. And, and with him being as good of an athlete as he is, it's not, it's not surprising. This is a very much a focused uh, kid when, when he came into LSU and, 
and uh, he had a plan, and this, you know, he's executing his own plan. Speaking of first-team reps, Miles Brennan took the first-team reps at quarterback. Lowell Narcisse, Justin McMillan worked in as well at quarterback. Uh, Andrew Sale, the, the former uh, Tennessee Tech quarterback, is now on the roster as well. Shay, what did you see out of the quarterbacks? They didn't do, I mean, they didn't do much, right? It was day one. They were warming up. Um, he, we know this. We know Miles Brennan throws typically the best ball out of the group. I mean, most consistently, he's got a really good compact release. I mean, he he's very pretty throwing the football. I think that he's going to be the guy who comes out and, and sort of leads the way the rest of the spring. I mean, this is not a race that Ed Orgeron is going to, you know, he's not going to come out this week and say, Miles Brennan is the quarterback. Um, he said he's not going to call it until the fall, which means fall camp. So I like it. I like some good, healthy competition. I think that it is a play, obviously, in part to keep everybody's interest um, in terms of those three and, and not to lose a guy after spring ball who might think he's trailing behind the other two. Um, I don't – look, Lowell, if you're like – if you're breaking them all down into different categories, I think that Brennan throws the best ball. I think that Lowell probably in terms of accuracy is the most inconsistent of the three. And Orgeron said, look, Lowell's gotten better even since bowl practices with his consistency, but that's not a big secret because coming out of high school with each of them, everybody would have said it went brilliant. Brennan McMillan Narcisse in terms of accuracy, but probably the exact reverse order in terms of athleticism and what, they could do with their feet and what they could do sort of in a dual threat or, you know, kind of a multiple option uh, or kind of multiple quarterback attack in terms of guys who can, you know, do the read option or uh, use their legs to do more than just, you know, be pocket mobile or get out of pressure. So I think that there's a place, a path, and we'll see how it plays out this off season, but not a two quarterback system as much as it is, and I guess the best example for LSU fans would be like Ryan Perilou, how he was used when they went on to win the national championship. Um, very obviously the beginning of his career, his freshman season is just packages and, and Billy and Sonny, you could, you know, you can chime in on this, however you feel, but I think that there is a path for each guy to get on the field, or at least if Brennan's starting a path for, you know, another guy to make an impact, because I think that, um, I think that there is enough they can do with this offense, especially when they're not going to be, they're not going to be giving the touches to the running backs on handoffs at the volume and the rate we've been seeing, because as Orgeron said, until they find a feature back, they're not featuring the offense around the running game. Because of that, they have to find different ways to be creative beyond just throwing it downfield. And I think that's where McMillan and Narcisse um, really get to sort of put their uh, foot onto the field and, and make an impact. So my early guy is Brennan. Um, that's the odds on favorite. I don't think anybody needs any insider info there, but I do. The more I pick up around the program, guys, is that they have plans for whichever guys that are here in the fall are going to get a crack in some sort of way to be on the field. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent And I think that I think that for LSU to be able to to have the type of season that that they want to have and that, you know, to turn the corner of the, you know, of the eight, the nine win season and get back into those double digits. I think they're going to have to have both of those quarterbacks just because of the different, you know, if Miles Brennan, if Miles Brennan is your starter trotting out on the field against Miami, 
there's such a difference in the skill sets between he and Lowell Narcisse to where I think you have to utilize what Narcisse brings to the table as a runner, and his passing continues to get better uh, with more time. So I think that uh, you know I, I think that I think that you'll see both guys. I don't I don't think there's any question in that. And uh, you know I'm I'm not as I'm not as uh, gung ho or, or or not really gung ho, but I, I'm just not buying the you know Justin McMillan being able to being able to get it done. Um, you know hype. And I know that you know not saying that you're hyping it, Shay, but you know I know that you know some people you know think that. He's kind of the forgotten guy, and he's a guy that could, uh, you know, that really brings a lot to the table. And I just see a more, I see a little bit, of, a little bit more of a limited skill set, you know, when you look at when you look at Brennan and that you look at Narcisse. And if he is that third guy, um, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to play all three guys. And you know, with that said, given the you know, given that he could potentially be a grad transfer at the end of this spring semester, you know, would he stick around? And that uncertainty and all, you know, to me, to me, it's a it's, it's a two horse race between Brennan and Narcisse, and and I just think that I think that you're going to see both of them next year, and you're going to see both of them a lot. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between, you know, working in packages for a Narcisse or, you know, potentially if he wins a starting quarterback job even, but there's a fine line between that and, and working him in and, and then having a three quarterback system. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's something that I'm not sure when you're looking for consistency and developing, developing some rhythm offensively, especially in a new system with, you know, very limited, um, proven experience at running back and, and really, I mean, even proven experience at wide receiver it's it might work against them if they wanted to go that route. So um, yeah, I, I think the the path to playing time, like Shay mentioned and, and you, Sonny mentioned, with with Narcisse and getting him in packages is probably the best way to go. It can allow them to take Brennan out of the game even and, and bring him over the sideline and say, okay, all right, watch this. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing, and here's what they're doing, and talk him through some things as he continues to learn and develop. While Narcisse can kind of show some of that stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Sonny. I think it's a, it's a tougher sell uh, to, to seeing uh, McMillan get get into more action um, on the field. But um, as uh, as we kind of turn the page from from talking about spring practice, uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. Shay, there were there were some uh, high profile visitors on campus for Sunday's um, first practice, and and LSU got some good news as well from uh, five star prospect Derek Stingley on on Sunday night. Man, Billy, when you're like, LSU got some good news. I was trying to scrape. I was like, did they get a commit this week? I forgot where. Yeah, they, uh, Derek Stingley, what he cut his list, guys, to six. And I think that nobody's ever considered trimming the list to six all that notable, unless you're LSU fans and Bama's not on the list of six. Um, three SEC schools, LSU, Georgia, and Florida make the cut, Michigan, Texas, and Stanford. Were the other three, I believe. Uh, I'm in the boat where I wouldn't sleep on the Stanford offer. The more we talk to people, the more that one really jumped out at him. But I think that LSU's the team to beat. Both you guys have been around Derek Stingley um, and the Dunham program plenty, and he's always on campus. I know he's made other visits, but uh, he's the type of guy where, look, we've talked about a five-star Number one corner leaning to LSU before, as recently as last cycle, what makes this different? 
I think one that he's from Baton Rouge and that he's, you know, around a lot, a lot more than Sertan was obviously. Um, and two, I think just with like his father in football, he has NFL bloodlines. Um, he's not the type of guy who is wooed over by the glitz and glamor of the whole recruiting process. Uh, I think more than anything, uh, he's going to go through this and make a smart decision. And, um, Again, I don't know if he wants to hold off and wait until the very end, but if LSU can drop him, like Cardell Thomas was a huge domino. If they could get Derek Stingley into the boat this spring or this summer, I think that would go a long ways towards locking up a lot of, you know, really big names. I don't think that's the only avenue to to get, you know, Trey Palmer and Devonta Lee and Sopsher and all these really big in-state prospects for the current recruiting cycle, but I do think that all those guys are buddies. They all know each other. And the more people they see join the class, I think the better for LSU's chances. Yeah, and you say don't sleep on Stanford. And, you know, when you when you talk about Derek Stingley, I think going into, uh, you know, if someone would have mentioned that he's about to drop a top six and you try to start looking, pulling the tea leaves back to see who that top two, top three would be. I think, uh, I think right now that, that LSU and Florida are two of the schools that, you know, probably have enamored him, have him a little enamored more than the other schools right now. But Stanford's going to be one to watch, especially, uh, you know, his good friend, Jordan Clark, they play, uh, they play seven on seven ball together and everything. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, crystal balls, have, uh, have started to come in for Jordan Clark to Stanford. And so, you know, that's a, uh, that could be a, another potential dynamic that you look at when, you know, if Stanford, uh, you know, does enter, you know, what I consider that, that, uh, you know, that top level for him where you have a Florida and you have LSU right now. Well, not only that, his, his Dunham, uh, classmate, Jordan Wright, who's a big time basketball prospect in Louisiana is also really considered to be somebody that Stanford is likely going to move on and, and offer and, and really prioritize this spring. So that's, uh, another, another connection there to Stanford. So yeah, I'm with you, Sonny. I think Stanford is, is kind of a, a dark horse. It's far away, but, um, yeah, definitely one to watch. Uh, more so than than you know, plenty of others in that top six. Uh, another big news, you know, piece of news is the the trio from Tangipahoa Parish: Ishmael Sopcher, Devonta Lee, Trey Palmer, all on campus again um, to get those guys on campus as much as they possibly can, and and have them around is huge. Because if you if you look at the state of Louisiana, I think in 2019, if you're looking for concerns as far as elite prospects leaving the state, those would probably be right up there for me. Uh, with three guys that that could uh, end up leaving the state, I don't know about you guys. I think the the biggest the biggest thing you said, Billy, is true. Is that you've got to get them around as much as possible, and that's the one advantage, um, or that's an advantage LSU has recruiting in state, right? Like they're going to have those guys, Devonta Lee, Trey Palmer, and uh, who are two receivers, and Sopshire, the number one defensive tackle in the country on campus a lot because they're from a meet in Kentwood. I mean, they're from right down the block. They can drive in, um, you know, and back home in an afternoon and spend time on campus. It's not uh, a big issue for them. I just, I feel like LSU needs, it's a tough, it's tough in the recruiting game guys. And you know, this to battle it out when leaving, you know, if you're looking at these in-state guys, many of them are going to make up a bulk of the class 
do you stay in a limbo with this group all the way into the fall when official visits start? Because then that can make and break your class in so many ways. So I think the goal for Orgeron, and he'd love to have them all locked up, but is to swing for the fences in this class. We don't see them like they made a move on a lot of guys early last year in terms of offering and accepting commitments. The only guys we saw them do that this year with who, when you're not talking about, you know, the top five players in the state were two guys who are already committed, Joseph Evans and Thomas Perry. Both of them worked out at camp. Both of them were offered then. Uh, and both of them, they committed and have stayed committed. And that was sort of the end of the wave of, of kind of early offers and, and press to commits for guys that were maybe camp offers or anything like that. So I think that they need some of these big dominoes to drop, whether it's in the spring or in the summer, or at least to hold a healthy lead. Because when the football season gets here, and I've always been one that says this, I don't think kids ride the wave of like, I I could tell you, I could pull the top 10 kids in Louisiana and two or three of them, I bet would get what LSU's record was last year. Correct let alone what it was two years ago. Like they don't ride it out like the diehard fans do like that. But when the season starts and if LSU's not playing well, that can hurt on the recruiting trail. So long story short, they need to build up some momentum with this group. The more they have them on campus, the better. Uh, and I think that uh, I think that so far the approach they've taken these junior days, getting them back for all sorts of stuff, uh, I think is the right approach. And, and we've seen them certainly remain in the mix and now start to make the lead group for uh, these guys as they trim their lists. Yeah. And, and just to, to put a wrap on all that, uh, there's plenty of other visitors that were on campus. If you, if you want to read more about it, you can check it out on go 247.com. Uh, we've got the full list, every single recruit that was on campus, uh, a couple more big name visitors that were in, and we'll have some reactions throughout the week on, on some of those guys that were on campus. But to wrap up this, this podcast really, one of the, the notable things that's going to happen this week is, is LSU is going to host an NIT tournament game on Wednesday night against UL or ULL or Louisiana Lafayette or whatever the heck uh, the moniker is now that they're using. But uh, from a year ago um, where LSU won two SEC games, fired Johnny Jones and then hired Will Wade, it's been a dramatic turnaround uh, despite the, the disappointing end in the SEC tournament. Uh, where the team lost to, to Mississippi State for the second straight year in the tournament, um, down 19 in the first half and battled all the way back to really make it a game in the final minute uh, with Tremont Waters hitting a shot to to close the gap to just one. But, you know, LSU just uh, dug them too deep, themselves too deep of a hole and, and couldn't ever recover. And, and with Mississippi State's hot start, um, they just couldn't recover and now will host an NIT game. Billy, you're our resident basketball expert, obviously. You've uh, what? You've been in Baton Rouge a few years now. You've covered uh, this team for a while. Refresh us. Where did you? Because they won ten games last year. I mean, they won they won two SEC games. You knew you're around the AAU scene a lot, so you knew what Will Wade was about recruiting wise. He's obviously also came with the tab. I remember you and Evan Daniels and some other national guys talked about how Will Wade was also a very good coach. That LSU was sort of getting a two for one bang here. Both have proven to be true. Did you have 17 wins dialed up before the season, 17, 18 wins? Where were you at? And I think most said, oh, man, the NIT would be the goal. But does the NIT, does a three seed now, how it played out, feel different than when you just said it back then? Like, oh, yeah, NIT would be a goal. Because I feel like 
the fan base is extremely excited, I guess more so about anything than the future, but, you know, more, excuse me, is excited about more so than anything, really, the future. Uh, but, Billy, an NIT bid, for some reason, for a program that's not so far removed from a Final Four, feels really good. Absolutely. And, and heading into this season, it, it was – for me, a lot more cautious optimism. So I didn't necessarily think they were going to be able to piece together an NIT berth. Um, but I think I also underestimated just how good Tremont Waters was going to be for this team. And and like Will Wade has said, if you asked him in October if, he wanted, if he'd be happy with an NIT berth, he'd say absolutely. When you talk to him in late January after LSU kind of hit a tough stretch in SEC play, he'd be really disappointed in not making the NCAA tournament because they, they were positioned well to really make a run and potentially grab a, an NCAA tournament bid uh, during that stretch. But um, for me, everything is building towards next year, right? I mean, they've got two five-stars in Nazareth and Emmett Williams committed. They got the number one player in the state in Javante Smart. They've got an absolute beast on the boards and defensively in Darius Days, uh, another guy that can contribute in the front court and on the wing on the way. And they might not be done adding another junior college player or a grad transfer or even building towards the year after with a, with a potential transfer. But for this year, for them to get uh, into the NIT and, and to host, which is really key for this team that struggled on the road so much, it's, it's, they're in a great position. Um, they've got a chance to, to host an in-state school and kind of create some more buzz around the state about the program. Um, I think they've got an opportunity to make a run. Um, I mean, but, but for me, they've exceeded my expectations, but Tremont waters is the one that really exceeded my expectations. And, and that's a big reason why ultimately they, they exceeded my expectations. Billy wrap us up here. Um, we don't, I guess a prediction if you want, but LSU is supposed to beat the raging Cajuns, right? I imagine a higher seed means they will be the favorite. What's the the outlook from, you know, Wade, from what he said so far, I know he's had a, a radio session, he'll meet with the media again, but um, kind of what is the feeling going into this in-state matchup with a, a ULL team that is probably a little bit better than a lot of people realize? Yeah, it, it's a team that, that you know, doesn't necessarily uh, match up in, incredibly well. I think LSU for one of the, in a way, the few times this season, especially in SEC play, they're going to have the size advantage, this, 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 um, uh, Louisiana Lafayette team does not have anyone that really contributes. That's over six, eight. They've got one six, eight guy. That's their second leading scorer. They've got a six, seven guy in the front court. That's their, that there is their third leading scorer. But this is, um, this is a game that LSU should be able to take care of business. Now, this is a Super Bowl, really, for Louisiana Lafayette. Their coach was on the radio today uh, in, in another uh, on another station saying how they've tried to make it happen with LSU for for an out of conference game, but LSU just doesn't return their calls. So that that kind of already threw a little bit more uh, you know um, gas onto the fire in this matchup. This is this is going to be an intense basketball game. ULL is gonna is gonna bring it, you know, to bring their their best. This is their shot to take down the the big mighty tigers in their you know home home arena and really put uh, a damper on what's been a, a solid season for LSU and and um, but in terms of uh, the matchup LSU is going to have the size advantage with Duaf Reef and Aaron Epps in the front court I, I do like LSU to take care of business and they do get a good bit of rest I mean this is a team that played you know on Thursday and and doesn't have to play again until Wednesday so. 
with that amount of rest, rest and, and kind of ability to refocus and lock in, um, this is a big opportunity for them. And I, I do like LSU's uh, chances to, to win this one in the PMAX. So, um, but with that, we're going to, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Shay, Sonny, thanks so much again for, for jumping on here and, and uh, wrapping up a, our, our second uh, go 24 seven podcast. We'll have plenty more this week. Uh, Monday and Thursday is kind of what we're locking in on uh, with our podcast recording. And uh, we'll preview some SEC baseball, which begins this weekend with LSU uh, facing Missouri. And we'll talk, of course, more about spring practice by then. That Thursday podcast will have wrapped up three practices for LSU and heard from the players for the first time since the uh, loss to Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl. And just a lot more to come on Go 24-7. So with that, going to wrap up this podcast guys thanks for for joining and and thank you guys for listening if you're on itunes subscribe leave us a review and uh, keep it locked on go247.com This is good.